0: Let me pray as we begin this morning. Lord, thank You for the time that we can share together around Your Word and thinking about the application of it with regard to our families and with regard to our witness to the world. May help us to understand and respond rightly to Your Word so that You would be honored in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. one of the ways that i've been praying for you this week is um that you would grow in your knowledge and understanding of of God that your that your uh understanding of God's love would be in keeping with how much God really loves you that it, you would uh get a bigger container like we talked about last sunday morning and uh i hope that God has been teaching you through his word uh how how much he does love you, and um, and look forward to uh, continuing to see how he challenges us even today. Well, we want to uh, continue our study on the family this week, and uh, before we before we get into this week's lessons, let's review what we've looked at so far. Um, we've seen in the first two weeks that the family is not the ultimate reality. Uh, so we don 't idolize it. We see it as a picture of something greater, particularly the relationship within the Godhead between the Father and the Son, but also the relationship that we have with God in the Gospel, that we can be called his children, and then the relationship that we have within the church that we can be called brothers and sisters in christ that that there is supposed to be some sort of family unity that goes on that's that um, within the church that should reflect what a good family actually looks like. And um, so, we said last week that building families is essential to Christian unity. Uh, in fact, uh, Christian unity and Christian ministry. Building families is essential to Christian ministry. And last week we saw that that um, it's essential to our ministry to the church. If we're going to minister to the church then uh, we need to have good families. Uh, this is a, a way that we minister to the church, one, because it's an example to them, but also it helps uh, reinforce the structure of the church family, that, that the church is able to look at solid families and be able to see, yes, this is what it's supposed to be like for a brother and sister to, to live together and to love each other. Um, This week we're going to see that building families is essential to Christian ministry within the world. How are we supposed to display our love for God and our love for other people uh, without solid families? And so I'm going to argue today that, um, that we need families in order to enhance our witness to the world. But the, uh, the thing that we have to be careful about is not to idolize the family. You know, with all this talk about the family and how important it is to develop strong families, we can't idolize them and put them above God, who is the ultimate reality. Okay? God is the ultimate thing that we're pursuing. God is the ultimate being that we're pursuing. The family is only a picture of that. And so, uh, you know, families cannot become central to what we do. God still has to be central so that in our uh homes if there are if there is conflict because of someone's relationship with God, we don't sacrifice our relationship with God in order to somehow uh have some peace among people who are opposed to God. Okay, do you see what I'm saying? You know, last week we looked at Matthew where um Jesus said, you know, where his family is there and they're trying to get Get his attention, trying to get him to come out to them, and he says, "Who are my, who is my mother, and who are my brothers? Uh, are they not these people who are doing the will of God?" His point is that his real, true, spiritual family are not flesh and blood necessarily. Uh, some of his brothers at that time didn't believe, and so. Um, Uh, In fact, probably all of them didn't believe at that time. So his point was, my true family are those who believe, those who follow God. And that should be the same with us. And uh, so we can't idolize our family. We can't sacrifice our relationship with God on the altar of of exalting our own family. Um, The reason that, just one final point with regard to review, is the reason that families are important um, to the church, to our witness to the church, is because uh, the church is a spiritual family. right? It is a spiritual family. We all have one Father. We are called to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to be loving one another like should happen in a family. And so that's why we need to have solid families individually so that um, we can be a proper example to the church. Any questions on what we saw last week before we... Move on to our witness to the world. All right. Our family's witness to the world. Building families is vital to the church, but not only vital to the church, it's also vital to our relationship with the world. You see, God has designed the family as a universal model to show some of the most. precious truths about himself, about the gospel, and about the church. And um, so that if a person sees a good, solid family, then that should tell them something about what it is like or should be like to be in relationship with God or in relationship with the church. Have you noticed that in our society, the concept of family is becoming... um, More and more distinctly Christian. That is, it's not really part of our society as a whole anymore, but rather is starting to become something of an anomaly. Uh, When we tell people about the amazing news that God can be called their father, they don't really appreciate it as much. Because on a human level, they don't know what it means to have a good father. You know, they they haven't had one themselves. They don't understand these basic relationships. And we say that, you know, when we come to Christ, we have this bond with other believers within the context of the church. A context like the bond, or or a bond like there is between a brother and a sister or or two brothers. And they don't understand what that's like because their family is so broken apart. And uh, many of you perhaps have come from homes that, have made you think differently about God or maybe think wrongly about God or wrongly about our relationship with other people because you've had a troubled uh home in which you were raised. And you see that's because Satan is always on the prowl to attack the family. He has he has always sought to attack the family um even as we saw in the last class with regard to um Satan Trying to undermine um the authority structure that's set up within the within the marriage, Satan is always trying to attack the family. He wants to disintegrate and distort the family beyond recognition, so that when people like us go to other people and tell them about the gospel and tell them that you can be a part of the family of Christ, you can be a child of the Father, the Creator and and that distorts their understanding of it because they don't know what that would be like they they have they don't even see in a small way what that picture would represent and so satan seems to be having very much success so building godly families are uh, a great way to show people um to to understand the gospel for, so that people can understand the gospel we need to be building families. That is, as a church, we need, it should be part of our priority to be encouraging and strengthening and teaching people how to build families. In this hot battleground, Christians can't afford to be neutral, neutral or worldly. We can't just say, you know what, it doesn't really matter. My main purpose is going to be You know, I'm just going to be a part of the church. Well, being a part of the church is good, but remember, our ultimate purpose is to glorify God. So, part of glorifying God is glorifying God in our families, building proper families, making sure that we're contributing to our own families. Um, And so that means that we are called not to go out there and try to change everybody's mind on what they think about families, but rather it is to, to be personally faithful It is to be personally faithful. This is um, the the founder of the Navigators, Dawson Trotman, says this. I believe with all my heart that one of the greatest soul-saving stations in the world is the home. One of the greatest soul-saving stations in the world is the home. See, Satan is continually attacking the family and trying to distort the gospel, but when Christian homes are being set up and properly run, then it is a a base of operation for evangelism. Now, I hope you understand that the family is not the greatest station, soul-saving station in the world. What do you suppose would be? Okay, what well, Yeah, exactly. The church should be the greatest soul-saving station in the world. Because if we are reaching people apart from the church, that is, if we are reaching people and not plugging them into a local church, then we've failed. Because our commission by Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28 is not to make converts. He doesn't say, go into all the world and make converts, does He? What does He say? Make disciples, okay? Teaching them everything that I have commanded. And you have to baptize them. That doesn't happen within a family, right? So here's my point. Families are important to, to reaching people for Christ, but they're not the best way to reach Christ. Okay? I'm just, I just want you to be clear about that. And I think Trotman uh, likely recognizes this as well in his statement. He says one of the greatest soul-saving stations in the world is the home. And his point is a valid one. If we want to have a good representation of God, then we need to have godly homes. One of the reasons that, um, that this may not be obvious is that our homes actually exist within the world. I mean, we live on streets with non-Christians that fill our streets, right? We, we live um, within a corrupt society. And so we need to think of our homes more of an outpost. And um, we need to think of uh, opportunities whereby we can use our homes to reach out to people. Turn to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. Again, this is a passage we've looked at in the last class, but I want to read a portion of this because I want you to see how this noble woman in Proverbs thirty one, this excellent wife, uses her home as an operation to to reach out to people. Okay, obviously her greatest goal here is to advance her own home to support the work of her husband and so on. But um verse fourteen, she is like merchant ship, she brings her food from afar Proverbs 31:14 14. And then 15, she rises also while it's still night and gives her food to, their, to her household and portion to her maidens. She can fit, considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. And notice verse 20. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow and so on. Okay, so at the base of her operations is her home and the raising of her family, of seeking to support her husband's responsibility and leading in that way, but but to raise her children in a proper way. And out of that uh, rises opportunities for her to reach and give to the poor, to help out. The needs of of her society you see within the home, the activities that we're involved involved in um, you know the the people that we hang out with, whether you know unbelieving people are are ways in which we can reach them with the gospel and if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that in our society, hopefully not in our In our church, but in our society, we have to admit that home is is a dirty four-letter word for many people, right? They they see the home as something that's actually counterproductive or something that's against uh, what the ultimate goal is, which is to advance oneself. Okay, it's a it's more of an individualistic sort of society that I need to somehow make a name for myself, and if my family gets in the way, look out. And um, obviously, some neighborhoods are better than others. You you recognize that there are some really troubled neighborhoods where it's hard to find a father in the home at all. And uh, obviously, part of the reason that our society rejects this idea, looks like I need to give you another blank here. There you go. Part of the reason that our society rejects this idea is because of the rise of feminism. Feminism has said that, you know, male authority is actually against our nature, and they, some, some even try to prove that from the scriptures. I think they fail to do so, as we've seen in the last class. But but home is not a bad thing. Uh, home is actually a a blessing should be a place of blessing. In Proverbs 31, we have this wife of noble character who who has her center of operations primarily in the home. And yet, um, she works out from there. Her, her fundamental, obviously you recognize the church is not involved, but we assume that obviously she would be Um, involved in the church as well. But her home is the center of our operations and she's working out from there. Do you have a question? Oops. Sorry about that. We're not called to change people's minds about their families. And then the Bible calls us to personal faithfulness. So in Proverbs 31, we could say that the home is a place of blessing, and then turn to John 14. John 14. You know, a person who doesn't have a good home may not be able to understand or appreciate what Jesus is saying here when He promises blessing in the home that He is providing for them. John 14, familiar passage here. Do not, verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house, or His home, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you, knowing the way where I am going. Alright, so Jesus says, I'm going to prepare, basically, a home for you. This home is going to be a place of blessing. And if this were not so, then He would have told you. And so our society looks down on the home. And, um, you know, those who are stay-at-home moms, are actually looked down upon as if they are some lesser creatures because maybe they couldn't make it in life in some other way and so they're you know they're they're treated differently and sometimes that is even the case within um bible believing churches you know they're they're surprised that a person a mom would want to stay home and care for her family to care for her children and her husband and um and yet, obviously, I hope you recognize the home is actually a uh, a great center of blessing, center of operations. All right. Any questions so far? All right. Carolyn Mahaney has a book called Feminine Appeal, and there she encourages women to build homes that, that rival this description by Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall is a former um, Senate chaplain, and he says this, I was privileged in the spring to visit a home that was to me, and I'm sure to the occupants, a little bit of heaven. There was a beauty there. There was a keen appreciation of the finer things of life and an atmosphere of which it was impossible to keep me from thinking of God. Flowers, books, and bird cages provided nature's music, nature's beauty, and nature's peace. It seems to me a kind of paradise that had wandered down an enchanted oasis, home. So he says there that an atmosphere in which it was impossible to keep me from thinking about God. What were the things in the home that kept him, that led him to think about God? Well, for him, it was this bird and this music and this you know this uh, sort of appeal um, to the finer things of life. And Mahaney in her books goes on to say, well, he doesn't even mention the family. He's talking about all the finer things that they enjoy, but he says that that actually helps him to think about God. But actually, how much more beautiful, how much more would it cause us to think about God if our families were, were um, built around the truth of the gospel and the love of a godly mother, godly children, children who want to obey and who want to follow God by following their parents and perhaps a you know a holy grandparent or two that to me you know is Mahaney saying is that to me is what really gives us a picture of heaven you want to really start dwelling on the beauty of God see a godly family look at a godly family uh not so much the finer things of life that's fine those things are all given to us richly to enjoy paul says but but i think the we can find much greater joy in the beauty of a godly family ben franklin um was an unbeliever but he he um he loved to spend time with jonathan edwards a great uh preacher of the previous century uh uh previous century previous uh past i should say and uh Ben Franklin would spend much time with Jonathan and Susanna Edwards, I believe his wife's name was. And he was amazed by how much they just had a sweet love for one another and and that their children were, were respectful. And uh, although he, as far as I know, he didn't come to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. He had much good to say about um, the Edwards family. My brother Jason and his wife live in Hamtramck. And one of their family's goals for their new home, they just moved there this last year, was to make it a welcoming place in the neighborhood. And since they've moved there, they have practically adopted uh, a teenage boy named Chris. And Chris is a, a young man who is amazed at the love that he sees in that home. He's amazed that there is a father who is actually home and who is there, who is a part of the family. And he's amazed at children who um, are not into drugs, but rather into the spiritual graces of the Christian life. He recognizes that they are real people and that they have real challenges with sin and so on, But, but he gets to see firsthand... What the love of a family looks like, a family that loves God. What a great testimony by my brother's family to an area that is marked by broken homes and by an area that very rarely has a father who's a part of the home, a part of the family. And it's a a testimony to a place where most homes are filled with kids that are out on the street getting into trouble rather than Uh, spending time with one another, loving each other. And I I can say that my brother's example is a challenge to me and to us all. So whether you're in Hamtramck or Madison Heights, Clawson, Royal Oak, Hazel Park, wherever you're at, Christians ought to have an expansive view of the home as an evangelistic base of operations. All right, let's see where we're at here. Sorry about this evangelistic base of operations. Any questions or comments? Alright, and this is not just uh, designed for those of us who actually have families. You know, singles can also um, spend time with families and expose their non-Christian friends to Christian families. Perhaps it's your own or someone else's but but this is a great way for uh non-Christians to be able to see the light of the gospel at work within godly homes. Even you know, even having children is some is a way in which we can be evangelistic. You know, um today in our society, uh we have the mindset that having children too early or too often or having them for the wrong reason is looked down upon, right? A woman writing in Christianity Today noted that because she had six children, she had been labeled by her friends as a breeder. And Al Mohler, uh, the president of Southern Seminary, says, you know, humans don't breed, they procreate. It's not just that they're kind of left to themselves and they just kind of instinctively uh, get involved in this relationship with another person like it is with animals. Rather, it is appropriate. It is purposeful. Now, obviously, you recognize that that's, you know, the purpose to get pregnant is not always purposeful, but but you understand what, what he's trying to get at there. Um, his point is that, that man is blessed when his home is full of children, turn to psalm one twenty seven It is a verse that my dad used to quote often, having eight kids psalm one twenty seven five well let's start with um verse three, just to show you that you know children are not obstacles. one twenty seven verse three. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man this is the verse that my daddy's quote How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gates in the gate. Um you know, childbearing is a good way to reach people for Christ. You have people that you're going to be living with 24-7 for at least you know 18 years or whatever. Um, and you have an opportunity to explain to them the ways of the Lord, don't you? So, one of God's great means of reaching people for Christ is through having children. And you can think of, if you think about this, perhaps your own experience has been is that how, that's how you were reached for Christ right because your parents were believers you know they reached you for Christ by raising you in a godly way by exposing you to the gospel by exposing you to the graces that come through Christ's church and so th- this the it should follow that if we want to reach people one of the great ways to do that is through having children um <coughs> Obviously, that's not the only way, but, but it's a great way that God has designed to, uh, to reach people for Christ. All right, any questions or comments so far? All right, we saw last week that God intends to show the world something about His relationship with Himself and His Son, right? Their relationship within the Godhead. See, what it looks like just in a... Um, in a dim way in a, in a, in a not very clear way but, but at least somewhat of a clear way what it is to have a relationship between a father and a son. That is if we can see what it's like to operate within a family then, um, then we get a little bit of a sense of what it's like between the, the, the relationship between the father and the son and we can help the world see the same thing. Also it, it helps us give us a sense of what it's like to have a relationship with God ourselves that we can be called as children and then with the church as his people. And uh this this all is shown to us through having proper parent-child relationships, but also through seeing other people's proper parent-child relationships. It um it's a great way to reach people for Christ and to give them an opportunity to see um, all of these things in the home. And then next, it provides an opportunity to evangelize future generations. It provides us an opportunity to advance or to reach future generations. How many of you are... Um are the recipients of uh the love and the gospel that has come through your grandparents? how many of you have believing grandparents all right how about great grandparents any believing great grandparents okay anybody know how far do you know how far back yours goes at least great grandparents you great grandparents don't know okay I'm the second generation christian myself um any other second just your parents or believers Okay, how about just you're the first generation of believers? Okay, several. Okay, so, um, but the point I'm trying to make is that for those of you who have been the recipient of God's grace that has come down through a couple generations, you've seen that, that this principle is clear, that we can actually reach our future generations by reaching our own children and our own grandchildren. Okay, so how many of you have believing grandchildren? Okay, good. So, see, you have a, a you have a ministry, a, a mission field right there within your own family, don't you? And uh, hopefully, you want to see that legacy go on for even for even longer. Turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. <clears throat> and I'll show you the principle, but then I'll need to explain it. And uh, hopefully, you see the value of of reaching future generations with the gospel, with helping them to understand the great beauty of um being in God's family. Psalm one oh three, seventeen, would someone read that for us? But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. And then actually would you read the next verse as well, please? To those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Okay. So the principle here is that that God provides grace to future generations. At the end, it says His righteousness to children's children. Now we might be thinking, well, okay, does that guarantee that my grandchildren are going to be godly? That they're going to to uh, have the righteousness of Christ credited to their account? And I think we all know from experience that that's not the case. And if we just look through the, if you just look through the um, the books of Samuel or Kings or the Chronicles, you'll see that that's not the case, right? You have even believing fathers, kings who did right in the sight of the Lord with kings who follow who are corrupt, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then that follows by someone who, you know, it just kind of keeps going back and forth. There are sometimes several generations of godliness or several generations of evil, but you you get the point. So it's not, okay, this is more like a proverb than a... um, a, uh, a clear precept that is, everyone who is in Christ will have believing grandchildren. That's not the point, but the, but in general that is the case, isn't it? And notice if you look at verse 18, it, it clarifies that the person has to believe for themselves. To those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. So it's not like automatically your grandparents are you know, entered into the kingdom of God or something like that, but rather as long as they are following in righteousness as a result of the saving faith that that they have um, expressed. But but that seems to be the pattern, uh, at least a general pattern within the Scripture and within our own lives that God repeatedly passes down promises to future generations. And the Ten Commandments... Exodus 20, God says He shows love to a thousand generations of those who love Me and keep My commandments. The psalmist says from everlasting to everlasting, as we just read, and, the right, and His righteousness will be to His children's children. What a great way for us to testify about God's grace to our children, but also to our grandchildren and beyond. My grandfather is now deceased, but um, he left... a uh, uh, a legacy uh, within his field. He um, was a man who had, was very troubled uh, with his health, and um, he came across a chiropractor at one point, and and from there he, he received a lot of great success from going to this chiropractor. And so from that point on, he wanted to give his life to learning how and to helping other people through the practice of chiropractic, and so he did that. He went to school when my dad was probably three or four years old, and um, graduated from Palmer Co- College in Davenport, Iowa. And um, since then, uh, I think there are over a dozen family members of his. That is, you know, if you looked at his family tree, my father was a grand—my father was a grandfather. Yes, he was that. But My father was a chiropractor. Both of his sisters were chiropractors, and both of their husbands were chiropractors. And then um, two of my cousins are chiropractors, uh, even though my dad had the most kids of his three siblings. None of us actually followed in his footsteps, but um, that's not the point. The point is is that um, altogether, with all the extended family, my grandfather had an influence on about a dozen different people going into that same field. And he actually, uh, actually my sister, my sister, my aunt, on his behalf received a legacy award just at this last, um, this last, this past year for the, my grandfather and the number of people that had been sent to their college. I think they were within the top two or three as far as the number of people that have been sent. And so, you know, as far as my family goes, we look up to my grandfather in that way, we respect My grandfather for the legacy that he's he's left behind but you know my grandfather was not a christian and what a great what a much greater more profitable legacy could we leave not that all of our children and grandchildren are in ministry necessarily full time but but that they are people who love god and who are serving god and who are raising godly families this is what i'm trying to to show you that the legacy that we ought to be seeking to leave to our children and our grandchildren is not one of some certain field out there, but one that is committed to putting God at the center of what we are doing. And that should be at the very um, heart of, of, of what we do. It should be our greatest desire. We see great examples um, of this in Scripture. You think of Timothy with his mother and grandmother who were a positive impact on Timothy, and obviously Timothy was able to pass down his understanding and love for God to other people. See, God loves to bless families, and He loves to pass down His blessing on future generations. Jonathan Edwards, um, back to this great preacher, um, in a book called Marriage to a Difficult Man, Elizabeth Dodds tells of approximately... Five hundred descendants of Jonathan and Susanna Edwards, or is it Sarah? Sarah Edwards. Thank you. Um, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, who became one of the greatest Christian families in American history. Mary Edwards Whiting was one of the living grandchildren of the Edwards, who could not make the reunion, but wrote this. She wishes to bear her testimony at the meeting. Okay. I, in other words, I want to wish. I want to wish that I want to bear my testimony at the meeting of God's covenant faithfulness and his covenant meeting uh his covenant mercies to me and my family. That is th- that she recognized that she was the recipient of God's grace through a legacy of godly uh, of a godly heritage, a godly family. And I hope that that uh, those of you who have godly uh, grandparents, great-grandparents recognized the great privilege that it was to be a part of something so special because, you know, like we saw, in the the majority of the people in this room did not have that benefit. And I would suggest that that's the majority um, in our world, in our, in our country, in our state. I mean, you could pretty much do any demographic and you could find that, that you are in the minority to have such a great legacy. And so you should be thankful for your grandparents if they're still alive. Um, you know, obviously you can do that in a in a in a clear way, but but you should also seek to be establishing that for yourself. That not because they can look back on you and say, Wow, what a great person you were, but so that they can look back on you and say, What a great God we have that He would allow such a heritage in our family. So we ought to thank God for, for the children that He has blessed our church with, and we ought to pray for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and uh, even generations beyond that that aren't even born yet. That, 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 that our example, that our building of families could be a positive testimony to God's covenant faithfulness. So today we've seen that building families is essential to Christian ministry within the church. Last week we saw I'm sorry, last week we saw that it was essential to, to the church, but this week we saw that it's essential to our witness to the world. Next week we're going to see that that the building families is essential to families themselves, and uh, that's actually what we're going to spend, not next week, I'm sorry, two weeks from now, and then we'll spend the rest of the class, the rest of the series, uh, working through that issue. Are right, there any questions or comments? Alright. <clears throat> next week is that's not what we're looking at actually. Ken's gonna be teaching next week for you. And uh but then when I come back we'll get into raising boys and girls. Let me just uh leave you with a few implications of what we've looked at today. Um first of all, don't think that building your family is enough to draw a person to Christ on its own. Okay, Just because you have a godly family, okay, and when I say godly, I mean one that respects and represents God, but perhaps doesn't actually explain or tell about the gospel. Okay, Just because you have a, a family that is believing or that is operating rightly within itself, that's not going to bring someone to Christ on its own. What does someone need in order to come to Christ? Okay, They need to hear, right? They need to hear the gospel. Now, this is a part of the way that the gospel is displayed as God has changed your family, but that ultimately they can't come to Christ just by looking at your family. So I, I want to emphasize that we need to actually speak to them the truth of the gospel. We actually need to share it with them. How can they call on Him in whom they have not heard? heard? Romans 10:17. And then the second implication is... Um, Isolationism versus evangelization. Isolationism versus evangelization. Okay, One of the models that is out there in even Christian homes is that we don't want to expose our children to unbelievers. We don't want to expose them to unbelievers. So we don't want to let them see anything in the world we don't want to have them interact with any unbelievers if we can help it so the more isolated we are the better off our children are okay i hope you recognize that model is flawed because they will actually never be isolated from sin they can't be fully no one can be fully isolated from sin so we could build a little bunker where just our family exists and we still wouldn't be isolated from sin why where does sin come from? Okay, obviously it does come from the world around us. It does come from you know satan's trying to to attack us from without, through the society and so on, but also it comes from within, doesn't it? So you could hold yourself up in a bunker as a family, isolate yourself fully, and that child would not be um, he would not be protected from the sin that resides in his heart. And if you don't think that's true, all you have to do is study the time of the millennial kingdom when there will be children that are born in sin. Okay? That's because we have some tribulation saints that survive the tribulation. They make it into the millennial kingdom, and they still have their non-glorified body, so they're able to procreate, and there are going to be children born at that time. At the beginning of the millennial kingdom, only those who are born again will be there. Okay, that's because you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God, John 3, right? So, if that's the case, and at the end of the millennial kingdom we have unbelieving people, then what does that tell you? It tells you that although these children were born in the best society possible with Jesus reigning as the king, and their parents all being believers, and their grandparents, and, or whatever, right? Their, their, uh, their extended family all being believers, positive influence, positive world, and yet some of them still turn away from Christ. How could that be? Because sin ultimately comes from the heart, and we can't isolate a person. And so I would suggest to you that while we don't want to just, okay, well, if that's the case, then let's just expose them fully to all the worst things that there are in the world. That's not what I'm suggesting but i'm trying to see you that i'm trying to get you to see that the other extreme is actually just as dangerous as fully exposing them to all the the evils of the world do you see rather there should be a way in which we're teaching our kids to interact with unbelievers in a biblical way and um and allowing them to at times fail and then show them where they can be corrected and so on um, but if you think about the book of Proverbs, you know the Solomon there takes his son by the field of the sluggard. See, he doesn't isolate him. He's walking through just the normal world and say, see that over there? See how all that's overgrown? Because this person's been lazy. This person doesn't care about the things of God. And that's why his house is just all a wreck. And he uses it as a teaching opportunity, doesn't he? And this is what we can do with our families as well. I would suggest that isolationism is... Uh, extreme isolationism is the worst, one of the worst things that we could possibly do to our family. All right, any questions or comments? Bill. Yeah, that's a great example from you know uh, Bill when he was an unbeliever, seeing a godly example, even though he didn't go to church with them or anything like that, was able to see what it, what it looks like to have a godly family, and that I assume attributed to your um, understanding of the things of God, and would later um, prompt him to to actually follow God. And great. All right, let's pray. And uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank You for the godly families that You've given to most of us. I recognize that every uh, single person in here was not blessed with having believing parents, but we are thankful for Your grace in allowing the Gospel to come to us. And we pray that You'd help us to take the principles and truths that we know and have come to love and be able to share them with other uh, people within our family, extended family, and... and, uh, or within the families of this church. And may our families be a proper and loving example of what it looks like to be a part of the family of God because we have a world that is pushing away from and and uh, destroying the families in which they live and uh, even trying to destroy our own. May you help us to have wisdom in this, we pray, so that we can reach more people for you so that we can um, be uh, loving Uh, servants of You and so that we can honor You with all of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name.